medical yeah. yeah. Now you're doing Good morning, evening or other, and welcome to Waitlong by the River, the podcast where we take a whipper snippet of the tall poppies and see what grows from the mulch. We're recording in our Gold Street studio and it's strictly invite only, so it's just us and the cat, but you can catch our live recordings first Wednesday of every month at Some Velvet Morning in Clifton Hill. In today's show, we talk Hungarian folk instruments and what they have to do with revolutions, the Tinder dating app and what it has to do with art curatorship, and the unfair socio-cultural boundaries that advantage or disadvantage an artist or musician, depending on their upbringing, and what that has to do with the World Chess Championships. The cause of all this foo-for-all is video artist, program director, and freshly minted Tinder expert, Sarah Tamara Kaur. Thank you. Oh, I need to say my name is Kaur. Core. So Sarah Core like an apple. Yeah. No way. So, yeah, it's totally fine. It's a common mistake, but Core. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered how, well, that was going to be one of my first questions because oh, on Facebook you get used to people's names. You're Sarah Tamara Core. That's true. But are you a proud Tamara person? Like, are you a three namer? Well, let me tell you why there's always Tamara. So, Sarah, as you know, very common name, like ridiculous. Like, there's always three in your class. And then yeah. Core, less common in Australia, but it's actually. Um, one of two names that you get given if you are born into the Sikh religion. So cool. if you're Sikh and you're a male, then you become blah, 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 Singh. And if you're a girl, then you become blah, 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 Kaur. No way. So then, it's yeah. a female Singh. It's a female Singh. Kaur is a female Singh. So hence, there are lots of Sarahs and lots of Kaurs. And when you put them together, there's like no internet profile. And so hence, um, Tamara. Sarah Tamara Kaur. Indeed. And does that mean that your dad's a Singh? Yeah, my dad's Singh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that tricky with licenses and births and marriages? And- well, kind of. So my dad's a Singh and then my mom and him split. And so then I came to live in Australia with my mom. Mm-hmm. So then she was Liu, but I kept core. And then my stepdad came into the mix and he's a Johnston. So mm, so Johnston, Liu, Yeah, Corsing. Singh core. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Wow. Tomorrow's easier than all that, don't you think? Way easier. Yeah. 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 So when did you come to Australia? Um, when I was mom? when I was twelve, almost thirteen, for year seven. Wow, that must have been a big leap. Yeah, it was kind of horrible. I mean, I changed schools in year seven, and I found that almost too difficult to deal with. But you Ooh. changed continents. Yeah, it was kind of crap. I went to girls' grammar <laughs> in Canberra. That was horrible. Uh huh. I literally spent like lunch times um, at my locker, like reading books, just hopefully. Just hoping people wouldn't pick on me and stuff. It was horrible. I totally sympathize. I was yeah. the guy who got locked in lockers and oh god, yeah, pushed around and and loved to read. I yeah. mean, you can probably see from where you are that there's a room. Oh no, the blinds shut, but there is a room that is just the library, just there. Which, I love that. Yeah, when we had the house inspection, it was full of dust and boxes, and we thought that it was just a useless storeroom. And then when we moved in, it was quite nice. I might so, have to raid it later. Yeah, look, you can just. It's definitely my gift store as well because I'm trying to get rid of books, but I can't throw them out. And so whenever it's someone's birthday, I go in there and just grab something I think they'll like. That's a beautiful gift-giving device. (laughs) Do you you find that you still read? Obviously, you can't read at the same pace now as you did when you were a teenager Mm -hmm. because life fills up with all sorts of stuff. I think that's an excuse because I really could. Like I could make that same like amount of three or four hours a day and I just don't anymore. Do you not, because you don't feel the desire, you're not escaping Um, horrible school people? Well, I think I was just completely voracious and I still get in that mood sometimes where I'll consume like three or four novels in a month Mm -hmm. and that will be great. But more often than not, like I just, yeah, we'll come home and just want to completely chill out and watch like Archer or something Mm, on the laptop. One of the all-time great animated Mm -hmm. comedies of the last 10 years. Venture Brothers being another. Of which I'm unaware. Oh, wow. James, we need Venture to correct brothers. this. Oh, my Lord. I should download it legally. Download it. Legally, immediately. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fans of this podcast will find that really easy because they've obviously just downloaded it themselves. Exactly. You know how the downloads work. Mm, I don't know where you are or when, but Venture Brothers mm-hmm. and Sarah. Speaking of which, is there anything of yours online that people can go and look at? Um, sadly, my online presence is kind of horribly messy, but um, I have got a blog. SarahCore.wordpress.com. Very nice. And that one wasn't taken. It wasn't taken. And I've also got SarahCore.com, which is amazing. How good does that feel? It feels really good, but I'm not sure who like owns the domain because it's not me. I think it was like a friend that set it up like 10 years ago. Mm-mm. So I feel like I have kind of no control over it. But um, And so hence everything is quite old, but um, possibly still relevant. Go check it out. 
I celebrated when I got jamesfay.com. Jamesfay.com was taken. He's an architect in New York. Can't That's have him. hard to compete with. But James Ashfay, like I went out and got a bottle of whiskey and celebrated. That's amazing. Because it's cool having your own website. It feels it legitimate. Is. It is. Yeah. I feel bad that I haven't checked it out yet. First thing I did. Oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> also messy. How do you describe what you do? Hmm. I describe what I do as a bit like on hold at the moment. Cool. Because... I, you were saying you are here festival, so that's a Mm -hmm. festival and multi-arts platform um, festival in Canberra that started four years ago, spearheaded by Robin Archer when she was funding the Canberra Centenary Celebrations Mm -hmm. and it's continued. This is its fourth year. We've just delivered the festival and, um, and I am retiring as senior producer. Oh no. (laughs) Is that tearful? Um, yes, it's really hard to let go of, but also it's just not the right thing for me and for the festival for me to continue. And mm-hmm. there's just an amazing production team. There was five of us delivering it this year and five is quite a lot. And I think they're going to be amazing as, you know, progressing forward as a team of four or mm-hmm. supplementing another producer or. Yeah. Cause the, one of the driving forces from at the beginning was David Finnegan. Mm hmm. Uh, and he retired last yeah. time round? He retired last time round, yep. But could he let go of it? I just pictured him being there the next time and, and still being involved. He was a punter. Time. He was a punter this time. Oh, and how's he, that? Did he heckle? He didn't heckle. He was the most supportive, beautiful audience member. And and we were really nervous. We were like, oh my gosh, David's coming. This better be good. It's like his baby. And um and I feel like we, you know, wrapped it up in Terry toweling and, and gave it to him back and, and it was good and we were happy and he was happy. So it felt good. So what's it like running? Wait, you said platform, multi-arts platform festival. What does the word platform mean in that? I think platform because it's hard to try and define all of the arts and it's easier for me to say multi-arts platform because it's kind of like a springboard from which all artistic or creative um, activity can bounce. I kind of feel like the festival is a is an eleven day event where basically we take over some parts of the city, and some things are quite traditionally acknowledged as art, like you know theater and dance and some visual ex- um, art exhibitions. Mm-hmm. And then you have other crazy events that spring from those things. Um, so this year we had Artist Olympics that was run by Applespiel. They're a collective um, of theatre makers from Sydney. And what they did was every day of the festival at six o'clock, they invited um, a representative of an art form. So dance, theatre, writing, I believe mm-hmm. comedy was an art form. Um, and so then they'd, they'd take a, you know, a very famous artist Olympic event, say the haiku in two minute event. Is that famous? It is famous. And we'd stage it in Grima um, Place and... Um, and yeah, and so we would have this competition whereby everyone had two minutes to make a haiku with words that were, um, you know, randomly picked. We had three judges. Mm. And all of a sudden, this competitive, like, multi-art form thing started happening. And it was hilarious. And was it art? Who even knows? But it was a platform. Ah, it was a platform for stuff to happen. For stuff to happen. Multi-arts related stuff. Exactly. So was that cut and paste haiku? I mean, did they choose no words themselves? They chose no words themselves, so it was really tough. And also two minutes seems like a long time when you think about it, but oh my God, no, Mm -mm. it's really not. No, I really got some quick thinking. I really got into uh, reading about haiku a little while ago. Oh yeah? A couple of months ago. This guy called Bashur. Bashur, Mm -hmm. he has a thing over the O, so I I try to make it. I have no idea. Like you said, I did with Kaur. And uh, (laughs) yeah, and and reading about him made me realize, because he's like the greatest of all time, and he took the old school and the new school, and he brought them together, and he had a sense of humor, and he was really serious. And it made me realize a couple of things about haiku. One, it's meant, it's made up to be uh, composed while you're traveling because you've got nothing else to do. Really? Like you see stuff and the image sticks in your head and you couldn't, you didn't have a camera, you didn't have a book. The idea being that you ride your horse in his case or mm-hmm. his donkey because he's often bitching about his donkey uh, and you, you run over your head a little memorable way to capture it and to tell people what was going on and you fit as much context as you can into it as possible so you end up with the season and the time of day and, right. and it's all implied because you yep. don't have that many words. So, so why was he limiting or why is the form limiting itself to that very strict, um, you know, 575 syllable structure? Good question. It didn't settle into that structure to begin with. Mm. Like originally pre-Renshi, Renshi, 
take all of this with a grain of salt. Real disclaimer here, I don't know anything about this stuff. Pre-Renshi, it was uh, it was sort of a courtier's game. People would come up with a really serious haiku and then somebody else would follow it with something else. Right. And I think that because it was sort of had a game-like format, they had to set rules. So it wasn't necessarily syllabic. In fact, even today, haiku in Japan, mm. like traditional haiku, they don't really have the same... S- because the language doesn't work the same way. They don't really do 575 quite like we do. That was an anglicized thing, I think, from California. But I mean, they do limit it. But I think that there's all sorts of different kinds. And the, my favorite kind that I got into was this Renshi poetry where it was more casual and it was more humorous. And the structure was one guy comes out with a 575 or something similar. And then the next guy or the next girl or whoever's riding with him, because you're riding on your horses from one place to another, mm-hmm. underpinning thing like who, mm-hmm. comes out with like a a nine and a five, like just a little two-liner riposte. Nice. And then the next, and then they get a chance to come up with a five, seven, Wait, five. Wait, is this that like the on. original like rap battle? This is definitely testifying. It's definitely that original test battle where you, wow. you oh, and it gets hilarious sometimes because they're making fun of each other's horses and their hairdo. And, you know, a guy will try and make things serious for a moment with a little allegory about a tree. And then the other guy will unfavorably compare the tree to a girl that he slept with in the last village. Like oh, he's wow. boasting about sleeping with people and i see so it's like half minstrel half verbal joust Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they just did it for fun you know basho himself says that a lot of the best poetry disappeared because you're riding your horse and um, Mm. you're talking about stuff together Um, yeah that's amazing i love that transient idea of like you know you say it's gone it was appreciated by two people on horseback and that and that's it Mm, does that happen to some of your work yeah, I think there's one of my works that tries to capture that feeling. It's a series of photographs called We Are Here and We Were Never Here. So the line is actually taken from a novel by, I want to say Anne Pratchett, but that's the wrong writer and somebody else. We'll, we'll do it in later like Mr. Black. Yes, you know? yeah, like we will. Stephen Riley. And, mm-hmm. um, and she wrote a novel where the protagonist is writing... Uh, down the Amazon River in a very narrow canoe. Mm-hmm. And there are all these like floating cabbage-like plants on the surface of the water. And as she looks ahead, she sees the head of the canoe, like the tip of it slice through the cabbages. And as she looks back, the cabbages are just kind of drawing together to form that seamless curtain behind them. And it was that instant where it looked like they, they were clearly there and yet they were never there, like the very next instant. Mm. And so... That sentiment really um, stayed with me because I was going through a couple of years of constant travel where I was just doing lots of residencies and lots of, you know, being on buses and planes and and trains. And I was um, seemingly compulsively just taking stupid photos out of the windows of all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it was this desperate connection to, to a desperate attempt to connect with the landscape, knowing that I was purely transitory and... I would never leave any mark on it, but what would I, what would stay with me? Mm. And, um, and yeah, so it's a series of quite, um, I would say bad landscape photography. <laughs> yep. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's legitimate, right? You can, bad and good are just both. Oh, uh, James. <laughs> is it all relative? Explain it to me. I'm not an artist. I'm a musician where know. it is not relative. And if you suck, you suck. Really? No. Come on. <laughs> I was going to say, like, if you. It, no, um, definitely not. I don't know. It's really hard to say where the value lies, but beyond that, for me, like personally, it has great value because it allowed me to sort through, I don't know, maybe like 10,000 photos with Mm -hmm. a lens where I could say, I'm selecting you because you're vague and hazy enough that you remind me of fleeting, I think. Um, Whereas if someone else was looking through the same collection of photos, they might not pick the ones that look most fleeting. They might pick the ones that look most solid or more most descriptive of a place and time well like most of us that just don't that make us look good for facebook uh, exactly yeah Th- this is a, like a series completely devoid of selfies which is hard to comprehend in this day and age even though you take them out a window of a train and you always end up with a bit of your, your reflection in them have you looked at them Ooh. really close and seen well, if I you're actually it. in all of them yeah where is the ghost of sarah in all i was there and i was never there did you accidentally do an exhibition of selfies you know, I've never exhibited the work, so um, when it comes to that, I might sneak one in just for you. It's a good time. It's a pretty yeah. trendy time for selfies. Yeah, it really, it really is. They're on the rise. Uh, are they? I think so. I mean, world leaders like are doing it now. like a documented, like, what? Yeah, all Who's sorts. Who's doing it now? Famously, um, Kevin Rudd was doing them a bunch, and then... 
Like, Julia what, Gillard really? Did. Yeah, for real. It, like, Kevin Rudd selfies. It's him. There's lots of photos of him with the phone out. Is this, like, getting... post the downfall or, like, pre and the then, downfall? Uh, I think it's peaked. It peaked earlier this year when oh, at no. the at the um, Oscars, Ellen DeGeneres was hosting. Mm-hmm. And she got the greatest selfie in history and it was the most retweeted thing in history on Twitter. And it's her with a selfie and with just everyone, Matthew McConaughey and uh-huh. Robin Williams and I don't know, Dan DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll date mm-hmm. myself by only seeing people from the, the early canon 2000s. of the era. Yeah, exactly. And, uh-huh. it's, and they're all jammed in there. And then everybody started responding. So there's, now there's football teams out there who are doing football team selfies. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, it's the thing. I like the multiple selfie. Yeah, me too. It's better it's than nice. a single selfie. That's it is. A school schoolgirl kind of thing. It's really boring. Yeah, but yeah, it um probably like you recently changed your profile photo on Facebook. I did yesterday. Selfie or not selfie? Definitely not a selfie. Uh-huh. That's a photo of me doing the first podcast of this. Uh-huh. Racked with nervousness before Rich Davies turned up. Okay. And Kayla testing the camera out and just catching me looking at her like, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing? Okay. Intimate portrait, not a selfie. Yeah, Very legitimate. Worried portrait. I see. Yeah, you can see. see the fear in my in my eyes if you go back and have a look <laughs> now. You just sort of implied that you went on tour as an artist. Um, yes. How do you do that? Um, That's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm, to me, tour is like the ideal lifestyle, right, for a while. Yeah, it's and it was. It was amazing. Um, it's actually funny. I feel really like, um, I feel really, what's the word for unconfident? Um... Modern. Modern. (laughs) Um, I feel funny about it because I feel like in Australia, I really haven't shown that much. And Mm -hmm. even my friends kind of don't really know what it is that I make or produce. Bit of a we're big in Japan effect. You know, they say we're big in Japan, lots of bands hit it off in Japan and become really famous there, but never oh. get famous anywhere else. Yeah, so you occasionally see a shirt that says, I'm big in Japan. I see. Yeah. Thank you. I really need to know, like, catch up on all these cultural references that I see on T-shirts and I don't understand. So Great. Yep. Some um, of them are just so nonsense, one. but I'm here for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so what I did was I was really lucky. I collaborated a lot with um, Nicole Canham, who's a classically trained clarinetist. Which is very specific, um, but beautiful she, instrument. Beautiful instrument, and she also commissioned um, a taragato, which is a Hungarian folk instrument that was. Can't remember what revolution Hungary went through. James, you're probably better at this. Well, they were one of the main satellite states that tried to fight back against the USSR, in as recently as I think 1990. Early 90s, 91, right. 93. Okay, and what was and happening? And it was brutally put down. Like earlier in the century. like And in the 60s, they tried as well. The right. 90s, I think it worked. And in the 60s, that was when the tanks rolled into I think Budapest and everyone f- tried to fight back but died. We need oh. Chris Hendry. Chris Hendry knows everything about Hungary. Oh, wow, you know really? Chris, right? I do know Chris. Fun machine, and I wish he was here right now to like educate us because yeah. the Tarragato was essentially the clarinet of folk instruments of Hungary and then they were like all burnt in some cultural revolution. Oh, I hate to hear that. I know. So then there was like, you know, maybe one or two surviving um, instrument makers and Nicole, my collaborator, was touring Europe and and heard one in like an instrument museum hmm. and she was so taken by the sound that she went and found someone and commissioned one to get make, made. And, um, and so from there, a lot of people in the classical contemporary music scene got interested and composers started to make works for her no way and we were traveling together and so then i started to make video works with nicole featured in them um playing the instrument so does that mean that you were exhibiting the videos and she was playing the instrument and she was accompanying herself is that what's going on kind of so nicole and i started collaborating in canberra actually and she was doing a show about what it was like for her growing up in a musical household and what those influences have brought to bear on her her mid-career life. Mm-hmm. And so it was called Looking for Mike Oldfield. That um, rings a bell, Mike Oldfield. Who's yeah, that? He, he made tubular bells in the 70s. It was a really long-form right. musical piece where he mm. starts with, I think it's synth, and then brings in lots and lots of different instruments over like a looping melody. Mm-hmm. So he made a show at the street theatre with me doing videos um, inspired by talking to her about her life and what she remembered, filming her and embedding the performer in the video. So then there was like a layered um, thing where you're seeing, you know, a performance with the performer and the video. 
And most of our dialogue and collaboration happened from interrogating why is there a need to have the performer on the video if there's already the performer on stage? What was the answer? The answer is an ongoing um, collaborative exercise, I guess. And it's one that's taken us actually, um, yeah, uh, in a, to a couple places in Australia. And then we started a really great relationship with Mexico um, and Mexican artists. And so it saw us go back and forth between Mexico a couple of times and, and extend into a show there. And yeah, anyway, that's a really brief, um, you know, wavering description of how I went on tour as an artist, but not really... It's not glam. You're basically camping on the floor of your friends and um, scraping by and applying for all the money so you can um, get a flight or you might substitute it with a, you know, a month of really hard hospitality work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you said that Nicole was in the middle of her career. Mm-hmm. So did she sort of have the funding to carry on with her thing and you were just doing your best to keep afloat? following um, her around no she was amazing she's really on it she was she'd been the director of the um canberra international music festival for a few years cool. she was definitely established she has her head so around how to write a really great um grant application mm-hmm. that's such a skill oh it's such a skill it really is i'm only yeah. just starting to like feel like i've got the hang of it um but she in a way was a real mentor to me in both in both how to communicate an idea effectively on paper mm-hmm. as well as um, really expanding my mind into which connections I could tap into for funding. Right. Mm. So if you're applying for something in Canberra to Arts ACT, you want to exaggerate that Canberra connection. But if you're doing something in Mexico, you want to play off the Mexican culture. Is that the... Um, yep. Or you go to the Mexican embassy, which is located in Canberra, and you're like, uh-huh. hey, this is the best of both worlds. Um, you know, th- we're two Canberra artists. We want to travel to Mexico City. Do you guys have any space in your program to support arts at all? And we ended up getting funding from the um, America, the Latin America Foundation, I think, mm-hmm. which has, um, I think, an, I'm not sure if it's a Canberra-based organization. But anyway, once you start talking to people like, and people get excited about your project, then they will recommend other avenues for you to follow and eventually enough money comes together that you can afford to fly two people over and stay for, you know, a couple months and Cool. Yeah, it's really good. On people's floors, but still. <laughs> On people's floors, but still. But yeah, but at least yeah. You're in Mexico City. Yeah, we were in Mexico City. It was great. Mm. Yeah. What's it like there? I've never been. I know that it's really high up. Uh, well, yeah, I've heard, um, so a bit of my background was in contemporary dance and I still have lots of amazing dancer friends who have toured to Mexico City and they've told me stories that when they go on tour, they have in the wings waiting for them like oxygen masks because they just expend mm-hmm. so much energy and they'll be dying for breath and there's no training that you can do at that altitude to get used to it when you're just on a constant you know, performing tour schedule. Yeah, exposure is the only way to do it, right? Exactly. So mm-hmm. they'll just like run off stage, go into the wings and like pop this oxygen mask on to recover before they next, you know, appear. It's so wow. crazy. That's amazing. I mean, there was a big furor last year or the year before with the International Chess Championships. Oh, what? Where, yeah, where they, they always have it in two countries and it's usually like Czech Republic and Russia or mm. England and France. But this time, for some reason, it was somewhere in Europe and Mexico because there were some like mm. promising Latin American sort of well, that makes chess me players happy. Yeah, It great. was really cool. Mm-hmm. But the they looked at this, like the youngest ever chess grandmaster won the whole tournament. It was the oh, first wow. time somebody under some age, 26, had won. He was like 21 and he whooped everybody. And they looked at it after the fact and they said, we're receiving a lot of complaints from the older players who couldn't handle not only the change in time zone because it was such a big change. Because halfway mm-hmm. through the tournament, the whole thing picks up and moves countries. That is The young crazy. kids could handle the, the high altitude, lack yeah. of oxygen, the sudden shift, and the young people couldn't. And so suddenly the whole tournament skewed in wow. the finals towards the young people. The playing field was yeah. like complete. Wow. And so where is the where are the, the city-state cultural boundaries that then give you an unfair advantage in the creative playing field of Australia? In the creative playing field? Good question. I mean, I used to think that it was unfair to get to grow up in Melbourne because there were so many great musicians around to be inspired by it. But Mm -hmm. as I get older, I begin to realize that your rural bands, like your Spider Bait and your Killing Heidi, 
architecture in Helsinki. Architecture in Helsinki. They get a chance. They have they have nothing to do. They're like Joanna Newsom in the US. I mean, mm-hmm. she grew up on a farm, and her parents were anti TV, mm-hmm. and so they had nothing to do and so they became obsessed with music and they practiced all the time it's like living 50 years ago before game boys and stuff but then that's a false comparison because someone like julian casablanca's from the strokes Mm -hmm. grew up in a mansion surrounded by tvs or like miley cyrus god help us for bringing her into this conversation yeah why did you why did you do that because she's she's the archetype of somebody who's successful in the music business but grew up in with distractions left right and center she's a child of that generation where everything you do is televised it's true, but so many, so much of her, of her success is kind of taken away by the fact that she grew up surrounded by the people who are just manufacturing success after success. Okay, so the best way to suss this out is to check out if Lord, uh-huh. who is 17 and extremely successful and She's also amazing. wonderfully authentic, yep. just the real deal, mm-hmm. if she grew up in the country in New Zealand or if she was a... So we should basically clone her and then like make her grow up in a bunch of different places, Mm -hmm. including Mexico City, including Mexico City. And then like in, you know, 17 years time from now, Mm -hmm. we have this conversation again. But telepathically, because by then we won't be using microphones and things. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I want to say that Royals has been on my playlist like nonstop since, I don't know, November. It's it's amazing. So cool. Being a pop culture nerd. Recently, I spend way more time reading about her mm. and seeing the, the effects that she's having on the world and not actually, I have no idea what her music's like. Actually, I listen to some of it and I forget. Oh. She just fronted um, Nirvana though. What? Yeah, all the remaining members of Nirvana got together as a tribute to Kurt Cobain. Wow. Uh, like Pat Smear and Kurt Veslich and Deb Grohl. And then they had a series of great female artists fronting that the band. That is amazing. So she did all apologies. St. Vincent did... Um, oh, great. Lithium. I think Annie Clark. Was, oh, no, Annie Clark is St. Vincent. There are a couple of female singers and it was a cool idea. That is a very cool project. None of the videos are Very up yet. happy. That's huh. a cool idea. Lord, yeah. The other thing Lord does that I love is post every time she sees a really photoshopped picture of herself online, she tweets the original next to it. So that's that all awesome. the young kids who are her age and lover can see the difference. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's a really like good role model thing to do. Imagine being that self-aware to record an album that's that amazing. And yeah. yeah. I just want to say one thing that I was Googling last night that came up in dinner conversation was contouring makeup. Are you guys aware of this? As in you put so much on a certain spot that changes the shape of your face? Yeah, basically. Like if you Google, everyone just Google right now contouring makeup and it's you just have amazing images of like, I think a lot of Asian women do it to like narrow their noses, the appearance of their mm-hmm. noses to look more Western and brighten their eyes. Um, do a lot of that stuff, but it's kind of horrible because you see the pre and the post and the, the when there's like 10 different shades of makeup on your face and you basically look like you've got face paint on. Oh no. And, and then imagine the like, skin underneath not being able to breathe. I don't even want to think about it. It's really freaky. Wow. Yeah. That's like a whole, that's a whole art project in itself is like interrogating contour makeup. There was a magnificent artist a while ago who made an art project out of plastic surgery and who live uh-huh. like photographed and filmed and released yeah, plastic surgery. She's from like the early, like late nineties, early two thousands, like mm-hmm. someone from Europe I mean, yeah. maybe Italian. Yeah. That's yeah. the vibe I have as well. Yeah. I can't I'm remember her sure. name, but she's pretty amazing. You know, on professional podcasts, they always uh-huh. turn to the producer and say, could you just look that up for me while, while it's happening. But of course I'm the producer right now. James, will so, you look that up for me? No, we've got to keep talking, but right. I heard, I heard a tap, 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 tap. when we talked about contour makeup and then Kayla in the background went, Huh. <laughs> it's scary, right? <laughs> what can you tell us what uh-huh. can you tell us in a minute or two about the artist in the nineties who made a performative art piece out of the plastic surgery she was getting? I th- we think she was Italian. There's wild typing going on. That's all we've got. Oh my gosh. Yes, so the artist is actually a French artist um, by the name of Orlan, spelled O-R-L-A-N, always in capitals. And she had a project that she began in 1990, which involved a series of plastic surgeries that she did uh, on film. She filmed herself being operated on, operated on is the word I was looking for. And she transformed herself into elements from famous paintings and sculptures of women. So she had um, the nose of Psyche from a particular painting and the chin of Botticelli's Venus and the lips of Europa and the eyes of Diana. 
and she picked the characters not for the canons of beauty but on account of stories that were associated with them. So the idea was that she was transforming herself into all these different, you know, into these women. Um, so you're an indie underground version of the Step Up people. Um, is that what you call like cheap and unprepared? Because yes, mm-hmm. if that is indie, then yes. It's authentic. Is there handshake? There is. Uh, there In some points there is handshake. Like the, I think one of the favorite ones that I've done is actually, I used to work for a dance organization called QL2 Dance. And QL2 Dance? QL2 Dance. I happen to know some alumni of that. Oh, do you? Of that dance school. We'll go into that later. Okay. Um, no, go into that now because I just want to say that that is like an amazing breeding ground of complete crazy talent and people that I've met through there are just just doing amazing things all over the world. Oh, uh, yeah, great. Yeah, Mira I know Mira. Luca, yes. who is Joe Oppenheimer, who will definitely be a future guest mm-hmm. of this podcast, mm-hmm. um, housemate. Uh-huh. Amazing body painter, like award yeah, winner. Yes, she is. I know. And she it's came amazing. Out of too. She did, and her sister Dev- Divya. Divya as well. Divya is a unique specimen. She is. My God, I've had the most unusual conversations with that girl. Have you really? She's just, you know, when you say something, you say A and you expect B, and you uh-huh. get C instead. Yeah. That's just every conversation is like Go that. Oh, Divya, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really wonderful stuff. It is really. She wonderful. put me onto some great hip hop too, which oh, wow. I really appreciate. Yeah, I feel like there's not enough great hip-hop in my life. Like, like you know, hip-hop kind of started with Eminem and ended with Eminem. For you? For me, in <laughs> like for like a year in like 2002, and then I never explored it. It can be really hard, especially when you start looking at it through the filter of, I don't want anything misogynist, I don't want anything with a really irritating re- repetitive sound, like a sound that's grating on the ear. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to narrow it down when you, you're from outside of that space because it's enormous. It's like jazz. You don't really know where to start. But again, Chris Andrew really got me on some great stuff there. Chris Andrew, where Quest. are you? you we need you right now. You can't go wrong with old Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. That's the place to start. Okay, listen, when I was 12, I like, you know, was raiding like horrible, crazy, like Singapore in the mall uncle kind of CD stores. And mm-hmm. I got really into acid jazz because for some reason they were always discounted. Yeah, for some reason. But yeah, well, exactly. But, you know, that formed the basis of my um, going into preparation to come into Australia time. So I thought acid jazz was the shiz. By that, you mean you were listening to it while you did your visa applications and stuff? Well, or? like that was thankfully all taken care of behind the scenes from my parents. Oh, you were but really like, young, you know, I was. But in, in, like internally, I was like, hmm, what's going on in Australia that's like really cool? Like, you know, how am I going to arm myself for high school for the first time with like boys and stuff? Oh my god! So are you saying Australian acid jazz? Or are you no, saying no, acid jazz? Just acid jazz in general seemed like my pathway to the cool vibes that was going to be my life in Australia. Was it? Um, well, so going back to where I was sitting, you know, in front of my locker reading books, probably not. Of course. Mm. What What's the seminal album there? What do I listen to if I want to get into acid jazz? Oh gosh, I don't know, but Tribe Called Quest was definitely featured, which is why I kind of brought oh. it up. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, they do have some sweet jazzy... Do they? I, I'm pretty sure... Do they sure kind of straddle straddle the line between like sweet hip hop and sweet acid jazz, baby? Yeah, they definitely use jazz as the tonal base of the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, so that that puts it on the spot right there. But yeah, it does. Yeah, they and Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill was who got me into jazz, which oh, is really Because that whole first album was double bass as the bass. It wasn't synth- synthetic. And mm-hmm. so it always had that sweet sort of clangy ropey sound to it and i just kept saying ropey is, this, is a this? very good descriptor word yeah because you can hear the vibration adjective just, that's you. what i meant by descriptor word i'll edit that so <laughs> do you just want to say adjective clearly into the mic <clears throat> descriptor word no you meant say adjective. <laughs> i see all right mm-hmm. tall poppy thing you don't wanna, <laughs> you're one of the people i understand mm-hmm. proletariat mm-hmm. i have a question about video art that i've been meaning to ask you but Every time I see video art in a, in a gallery, like being exhibited. It. You walk past it, don't you? I know. I go in d- because I always want to try. Uh-huh. And it's rare that something will... I think that some of them are designed... Some of the artworks that I've seen have been designed to work at any moment whenever mm-hmm. you walk in, mm-hmm. but then they sacrifice the narrative. Yep. And then some that re- depend on a narrative because they're looping mm-hmm. you just walk in and mm-hmm. you go. and i understand there's sort of a data thing that's like well the movie should start wherever it starts but mm. if you're building a narrative it's got to be really hard mm, i don't know so i 
it's not very fashionable, but I'm really into narrative because it keeps you and it hooks you. And so, like, imagine if you're watching a film and then you come in, like, a third or two thirds of the way through, but it's still, like, you can clearly kind of see that something's been happening. You're inserted midway somewhat abruptly, but it's still enough for you to either try and try and make up what's happened before in your head to understand mm-hmm. what's coming or to make you kind of stay for the, what, like the eight minutes that it takes for the video art to, to loop back around. That's true. And I'm really excited by that. What I'm less excited by is something where I come in and I stay for two minutes and I'm like, mm, there is no progression here. It's a series of shapes. It's a yeah. series of shapes. Or um, it's like someone, it's like, you know, uh, oh, it's water or um, a sunset or maybe it's like a house that's um, being flooded or I don't know. Mm. Like I really, I really normally don't like video art at all. Um, Great. Yeah. So that, yeah. How does that gel with what you've, well, are, you, are you fighting back? Are you... No, not even. I I don't know why. I think I've always relied on, you know, um, recording devices to make art because I don't draw at all. So camera, mm-hmm. camera, and then and then taking photos and then that led into wanting to capture the, like, a moving image basically because I was so interested in dance and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot you can't capture, like, you know, the essence of dance. I don't think you can capture in a, in a still frame. Um you can and imply it. You but can you imply can't. it. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess the way I try and work with video is in performance. Mm-hmm. So mostly the videos I make are with um, are in collaboration with dancers and choreographers. So either they become a dance video that is standalone and can be screened anywhere or is specifically built um, to accompany a performance and in some way tease out the conceptual side of it or um, you know, is like is like a frame or a bucket within which the dance happens, and mm-hmm. there's so much in that. Like, there's so much in that collaborative process, which I really enjoy, and there's so much also in in the difference in the kind of images that you make. For if you're basically building an image as a container for other people to perform in, it's really really different to putting together a video that will be on a wall somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that difference, I think, is what I really want to push or what I want. Like, that's what keeps me interested. Yeah. So when you say a container for somebody else to perform, I mean, mm. do you do you do the choreography side as well? Um, I used to, but um, not anymore because it's been a really long time since I danced seriously. And I am working with a level of dancer who and, and choreographer and they're just so intelligent with their body and their moves that there's no reason I need to at all plot out any moves like I'm just like what are you interested in what are you interested in so for example um there's a work called No Place that I was working on for I think it's been a couple of years now and the first development of it it was working with Adelina Larson as the choreographer and director and we were using images from a residency in Iceland and it was about hypnagogia, which is that state in between sleep and wakefulness. So great word, hypnagogia or hypnagogia. I don't know which it is, but it's a very, very, very good word, and it's a very interesting mental state. So we were trying to use like images of landscapes that referenced not being anywhere, and it was a really literal kind of translation of what we were trying to do, and that seemed right at the time. Um, because we wanted the, so the performers were performing in a half improvised state to be true to trying to represent hypnagogia. Yeah. So they were supposed to, um, be channeling through their, through what they could intake through their senses, like eyes, hearing stuff like that, and then spitting that out through movement. And so that works really well in theory until you get to a performance space and you realize that when you're projecting images really large onto a space, and the dancers are in that space, actually they don't see the images at all. Like they just feel it as color or they see like random pixels washing over them. Oh, of course. When but they're they don't, in, the, yeah, exactly. in the stream of the projector, they're not yeah, going to know what's being they're projected They're not going to know. And so it's like this false thing where you want them to be in that moment and, and respond to the video, but they're actually not. They're responding to their memory of what the video was like when they saw it on the screen. Right. And so it was like this kind of removed process and so the second development that we did of the work was completely different like I used completely just almost trashed everything of the first one and 
attacked it again with much more simple images, like it might be a rock that was painted pink amongst a sea of black rocks and that worked for a scene really well and it and it didn't have to literally mean something and it didn't have to act as like a physical landscape for the performers to be in, but mm. rather just reference something that was similar. So if they're referencing um, a specific emotion or feeling or isolation point, then that's the kind of thing that I will use almost as a clue to give to the audience because contemporary dance, let's face it, it can be so hard to find your way into the narrative of that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of see video in that context as just like a way to invite the audience in to, to travel with you a little bit more. Yeah, so do you use the do you use the framing as the in for the audience or do you use the images as like what's the... Because I know with opera, it seems really distant from people and there's the leader, like you have notes in front of you and you can mm. read. If you get lost, you can read and they'll say, Act 3, Alonzo is really angry with Mary. Yeah. I mean, what's your leader? Um, I guess it really depends on the aim of the project and with mm. something as nebulous as describing a hypnagogic state, um, the idea was never to be literal and never to give people enough that they felt completely confident that they know what's going on so the mm -hmm. idea is um that the audience was it was performed finally in the nishi gallery um and which is a beautiful kind of split space with lots of glass walls and white i mean yeah glass and white walls and it's kind of in a y shape and so we used three projectors to um fill the space with images that the dancers were either in or not in completely. So you could make a choice and say, all right, am I watching the movement or do I let my eyes drift over to what's happening? That looks kind of like a triangle of a storm coming in. <laughs> and then and then what is the dialogue between a storm coming in and the repetitive motion of her writhing on the floor, for example? Yeah. And and so in that in that space is where we ask you as the audience member to make the connection and then and and it's almost like the art happens half on the stage and half in your head wow. as the audience member. Yeah. I think. Do you feel like you have to provide options for people these days mm. that they have trouble fixating? Hmm. No, I kind of feel like if I could immerse someone in a very singular experience, that would be almost like the ultimate thing for me. Like that magnificent light artist guy who made the sky space. What is the Sky Space? Oh, the Sky Space is the. Are you talking park? about James Turrell? No, no. Yeah, no. James Turrell. Yeah, right. Yeah, who, yeah. Oh, he's amazing. What I wouldn't wow. give to go and see some of his artwork elsewhere. Well, you can go. Oh, right. It's a bit of a taster at Sky Space at the Canberra Museum. Yeah, is that what it's called? Okay, I understand. Yeah, that's the yeah. National Museum Park out the front. Mm -hmm. For those listening at home, it's sort of a volcano-shaped, mm. giant conical thing with a very specific hole, like a perfect circle cut out of the mm -hmm. center, and you can watch the sky for long enough that gets dissociated from what you're looking at you it's just amazing. start to see color and but the weird thing is like even entering the space like how he designs architecturally or whatever how he designs you entering the space and all of the elements around it just put you in this kind of meditative receptive state to then look at the mm. sky and i think yeah how you approach the space is really beautiful and in visual and installation art it can be like a physical thing and sometimes with performance and this is why I really love performance as a medium is like, there's a contract between the audience and the performance that yep for the next hour and a half I am going to be in a completely different space and I'm ready and so as soon as the lights go down like you're that's the same as you walking through a wandering maze of pebbles to to look at the hole in the sky so do you feel like you have to, do you prefer to lead people in at the beginning of the artwork to facilitate that, that journey into the weird headspace or do you prefer to shock them into it? I, I really think it depends on each individual work. Like, is it a work that needs you to be shocked into something? Like, is it a work that needs the audience to almost unwittingly like realize in a snap of a finger that actually they've been in a performance the whole time mm. or is it something where you really want to gently kind of say hey this is a journey let's go together I'm going to hold your hand and for a little bit and you'll never be too scared because there's always like a clear narrative or path for you to, for you to hang on to so you never feel too confronted you never feel like something's too contemporary or too abstract that you feel then dumb for trying to understand it I think that's like 
a great disservice that sometimes we can do to audience members. Is to alienate people. Mm-hmm. I imagine it would be really easy with contemporary dance. I mean, mm. that exposes my uh, preconceptions in this area, but I feel like I could watch bizarre, coruscating, difficult video art all day. But yeah. if somebody was doing some interpretive dance in front of me or some uh, contemporary dance, see, there you go. I'm yeah, really, exactly. I put exactly. it right on. It's, it's really funny. Dance. That's um, tough. It's I mean, tough. It's, it's really tough. Again, it's like opera in that it's been made uh, the butt of a series of jokes. Absolutely. Because, it's, because that's how people have to respond. If it's they like impenetrable. Um, yeah, I know. I, I wish it wasn't so. And um, gosh, you know what? Melbourne's a great city to be in to access some amazing contemporary dance. And I shall take you, James. Yeah, I'm. Um, hey, anytime you can make a recommendation. Next Wave's coming up, so there's a couple of things going on there. There's, What's um, Next Wave? Next Wave is an independent arts festival in Melbourne running mm-hmm. in May, and there's a couple of great dance artists, um, artists that are putting on shows. They're, it's quite experimental. There's one called Deep Soulful Sweats, mm-hmm. um, and I won't even begin to describe it. I just know that it's a lot to do with spirituality and, like, almost like a yoga practice and getting the audience involved in movement to, as part of the performance. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one called Maximum by Nat Abbott. And I have no idea what it's going to be. I just know it's going to be great. So how's that for a blanket That's plug? Great. Hey, I always have to it. plug stuff that way because often I think it's going to be good, but I have no idea what actually exactly. what the musician's going to sound like. Or mm-hmm. I took that risk with Wolf Creek, the musical at the comedy festival, and uh-huh. recommended it to heaps of people. And then it was... It was painfully good. It was so good that people were getting stuck in that laughing loop where they couldn't breathe. Oh, wow. And they were sort of gasping for air behind us. Is it stuff. still going? It is. It's got one more week. Oh, my gosh. I need to go. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think. Awesome. It's at the Union Hall and it's on, it's like 15 bucks or something. Amazing. Oh, it's so good. Have to go. Oh, couldn't, rec- couldn't recommend it more. I love any kind of art that involves audience participation. Okay. I think that it's something our society uh, culturally lacks. I feel like people feel standoffish as soon as they're asked to actually be a mm-hmm. part of something they'd rather just they feel safer sitting and watching and having a story told to them yep Not and that's necessarily i do good or bad but i, I really do you do you, you feel un- you feel un- in- you don't like to be put on the spot that way i really don't oh, i love it i'm always the heckler i uh, try to be a positive heckler yep. but i always you know if someone comes out and says hey everyone i just i just want to say hey back and everybody else sort of goes hey, hey. Yeah. oh how great <laughs> how great on that topic is the the whispered word of somebody who isn't really confident enough to say hello back or, or excuse me or something. You ever walk past someone in the street it. and you almost bumped into them and they go, excuse me. Yes. Under their breath. Like they, yes. they know they're meant to say it, but they're so embarrassed. Yeah. And separated or, from. Yeah, so, I do. I really do. But more often than not, like I'm that person, which is completely contrary to like, you know, having an arts practice or being a producer or, and funnily enough, one of the biggest kind of, discomforts I felt for you are here especially this year mm-hmm. is that normally we have Adam Hadley as an MC or we used to in the past and he was just great what he's a magnificent like, MC he's amazing he's just a, a natural generation born. of people who when they get an MC gig just mm-hmm. imitate Adam Hadley and hear it all the time for a reason mm. so then right then it's like oh um you were the producer you got them from to come from Melbourne you introduced them you know them and I'm like I don't oh god really that can be really tough it was so tough and so every time I had to like introduce any kind of show I was petrified like petrified like I'd just be like mm, hello welcome to you are here this is the band thank you like easily that, the hardest you know, bit of the podcast oh getting up and, and saying to everyone here's 15 words that encapsulate the person that I'm about to explore for an hour it's like, crazy do you- I don't know it's very hard it's very hard so um being put on the spot as an audience member I find actually confronting and sometimes enjoyable sometimes not sometimes mm-hmm. it's about you know, making it a comfortable space so people can feel good. But yeah, that moment where you're like in your daily activity and someone kind of interrupts it with a smile for goodness sake and you can't smile back. I I feel that tension. I recommend a life changing change that anybody can make. Okay. Day to day is building up that smile reflex. I feel like if somebody, if you make eye contact with someone or if you acknowledge that someone's nearby and you just automatically smile, all day, every day, it just it's just improves your life. Exactly. Yeah, but if it's if it's a if it, it becomes a natural smile, it feels weird for a long time. Okay. Especially when you're a book reading nerd who may lack certain social skills. Smiles have been ruined by photographs, though. 
Whoa, being put that's on a the big position, statement. Being put on the spot and having to having to smile. I mean, yep. the most fake smiles in the world are the most captured photographs of nine out of ten people. People just yeah. doing that muscular smile, just pulling their mouth to the side. Their eyes aren't smiling there. Yeah, you know, a lot of people their scalp moves when they smile. Really, it's a thing that doesn't get acknowledged enough. But when you're looking for it, you start to see it. Like well, now that I pointed it out, hopefully you'll start noticing it. It can be a bit creepy. Mm. Yeah. Well, it tells like you know who's had collagen implants from who hasn't, right? Oh my god, that's right. Isn't that sad? It's Picture sad. those people who have collagen implants over and over and over, and then they die at seventy, and they're in their coffin, and everyone walks past, and they have this rigid, beatific smile on their face, like they look surprised. That's sad to me. That's really sad. But that's yeah. I don't know. I always get caught criticizing people who've had plastic surgery, and yet I can't blame anyone who wants to try and make themselves look better in a world that's obsessed with aesthetics. It makes sense to me. Mm, it, yeah. It's mm. just it's just sad as well. It is just sad as well. I mean, I dress up. I spend a lot of time getting dressed for work every day because I love to have an unusual shirt tie combination. And and I really I love, love I love whenever I meet you in the city casually and you have like an interesting combination of shirt and tie. I actually appreciate it. Oh, thanks. And I, if I don't smile outwardly, I smile on the inside <laughs> to acknowledge it. Okay. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> um, I feel the same way. I, I often catch myself commenting on someone's appearance first when really I should be saying how are you doing or whatever I just I, I always come out with look at those socks yeah but something. it's like an it's like an easy kind of in isn't it it is but it it reinforces that often negative obsession that our whole society has with, with this the is visual. the perfect in to talk about tinder just in case you were looking for one I I'm always looking for an in to talk about tinder <laughs> so as a as a happily boy girlfriended boy as happily taken. <laughs> yeah, Kayla looks surprised to hear that just in the background. But that, see, that's a natural smile. That's mm-hmm, lovely. Mm-hmm. Everyone's been talking about Tinder lately. Right. And it's a running joke. And there's things that there's a, a couple of hotels in the city that have banned making out at the bar because it's happening so often because of what? some mysterious mechanism of Tinder means that people Wait, are making out at really? the bar more often. Yeah, there's no a sign way. up at the retreat, I think You it are is, joking. Saying, or it might be the Randwick, saying... Um, if you make out the bar, we'll spray you. Find somewhere but, else. And but, they spray them with the soda stream. But what's wrong with like making out at the bar? Public display of affection, good. Stranger pash, like uh-huh. a roiling pash, a pash uh-huh. with movement and even color. Even better, even better. Oh, come on. Well, I don't, I think I'd be okay with it, particularly myself doing it. Because uh-huh. we were talking about this performative right. being out in the open. And right, it's like right. a visual form of heckling. You say, yeah, take well, this society, you're carrying a briefcase and I'm making out with this girl I just met with my phone. Yep. But obviously the people at the bar hate it. Maybe it was just changing the vibe. I, I don't know. think they need to be scared of pashing at the bar. Mm-mm. I really don't. I kind of feel like, A, how long can you pash for? Like it's maximum going to last like 15 minutes unless. You know, like, like how long can you, it's a long time for passing, but it's a very short time in terms of like my shift goes from like six to midnight. And so am I not really going to like handle two people displaying a pash, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Does pash relate in any way to passionate? It's a passionate kiss. It's a passionate kiss. Kiss me passionately. Yeah. Well, perfect. So why, you know, like. I'm kind of offended that, that people are not allowing the pash at the bar. Well, don't go to that bar. I will not. I mean, I've been to the retreat like one time. I don't think it's the retreat now that I've said it. Um, I think it's something else starting with R. And we've talked about this. So it's something starting with a letter of the alphabet that isn't R. Um, the hotel you're thinking of is the Great Britain in Richmond. And their idea behind the policy is their bartenders wouldn't come and make out on your desk in your office. So don't make out right in their faces at the bar. And they actually say, you know, there's plenty of dark corners in this hotel just go make out in one of those okay how about you fuck with them by um how about you sit at the bar and then you like make pashing but like air pashing so you're not technically pashing anyone else but you're like really grossing everyone at the bar out because you got your tongue out like you may maybe have like your hands getting involved in the in the air action of like the shoulders of, of somebody else like hair tousling see now you're thinking like a person who comes up with an art exhibition and really not someone who's just overcome by the the efficiency of Tinder. Okay, Tinder's not efficient. Yeah. Go on. It's not efficient because you have to like, there are so, I mean, yes, it's efficient. Like you swipe left, swipe right. Yes, yeah, sure. Like that part is efficient. Mm-hmm. Like you get very quick at, um, and this is very sad, but you do get very quick at knowing like what you like immediately. 
by the way someone puts himself over in their smiley selfie, You judge them in that first six seconds, right? You do. And it's then like hotornot.com. I remember that being a big deal when I was in school. Wow. Isn't Same that thing. like the rumor that Facebook started as a hot or not type Not of even thing. a rumor. It was a it, thing. It's a thing. Yeah, it was well, a thing. Well, there you go. Okay, so some people listening at home might have no idea what Tinder is. So I might, can, can you give us a precis? What is Tinder? I love that as someone who's been on Tinder for like maybe a total of three and a half weeks, I am giving the what is Tinder spiel. So Tinder is an app. You download it on your smartphone and it connects to your Facebook account. So it allows you to set up a profile, which is basically your name, which it pulls from Facebook, your age, which it pulls from Facebook. And then it lets you access a gallery of photos that you've posted on Facebook. So in a way, there's a degree of accountability there because... You know, you, you're not really going to post really awful photos of your bits because, you know, you wouldn't really want that to appear on Facebook. So there's a, there's a moderator of, of decency, I guess, somewhere in there. And then once you've set up your profile, you get to look at other people and they appear almost like cards. Like, um, what do you call those, like, prompt cards that you kind of read on your speech and then you throw oh, yeah, away? Yeah, palm cards. So basically you have like a palm card of everyone's face and their name and their age and um, and you swipe left if they uh, don't appeal to you and you swipe right if they appeal to you. And so if you swipe someone right and they see your photo and swipe right, then they go, oh, you have a match. And then you're allowed to talk to that person by text. Wow. And so going back to what you were saying about picking the, I don't know what we were talking about, but something about selfies and having like a clue in that. No, when you meet someone on the street and you go, great socks, yep. that's exactly what happens on Tinder. Cause you're like, you look at five people, like five photos of a complete stranger and you don't know anything else about them. So you're like, Hey, that's a great um, puppy or, um, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, that's an excellent canoe you're riding there or is I that if he built that Michu and then you flip the exactly. next photo is him with an awl and you say he did he built the canoe exactly so you can really build up a narrative right well i guess that's the idea and, and it's very telling what people um choose to tell you in five or six photos wow so what are your four photos mm. or five or six mm. Because this is important. Oh my goodness, I mean, we, it's so embarrassing. We flicked through this before. <laughs> we flicked through before the show because I was really curious about Tinder. Right. I didn't even wait till the show started. And we looked. The first guy out of ten who looked uh-huh. even halfway decent, his fourth photo was a repeat of the second photo, and all three of us immediately went, "Ah, oh, too bad. He's too no bad. good." I know. Because what? Because he doesn't have IT smarts. Yeah. Who's, who's looking? In what topsy turvy world are IT smarts the? Game break, uh, deal breaker. Probably in a lot of worlds these days. Man, it's highly so co- I, man, it's. I know. I, like, I feel conflicted about using it, but um, you know, like it's uh, whatever. Um, that was a lead-in, not a dodge. Well, what are you for? <laughs> what are your pictures? <laughs> Just give us a. Re- you could make it up. We're okay, on, so no so my, um, so definitely there's like there's like I've got fake eyelashes on. Just looking at the camera. Oh yeah. Because I, I was kind of going for like, you know, like the um, the author cover oh, photo. Oh, great. Did, do you have your... With eyelashes. Because like, I do. I do have my... I have like That's my... That's the thinker, My right? chin on That's my fist. Yeah, definitely. Who made that? I wanted to say Rambo, poet <laughs> and political man. Uh, but it's someone with an R, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, producer. Wait, don't even tell me. This is ridiculous. I worked at the NGA for like this. a couple a- of years. Is it Rondell? Yeah, it's Rodin. Rodin. Of course. I was so <laughs> close. Rodin. Crazy. Oh, and I just disproved the first letter thing. Oh, yeah. I knew it started with an R and it did. And it did. Look at that. It's funny. One of my favorite works that I did, which was really, I don't know, I created maybe like five years ago. Um, I worked at QL2. There was a season that they did at the Playhouse, which is a really beautiful professional stage in Canberra. Mm -hmm. And the performers are all aged between, I don't know, maybe 15 and 21. So they're very young. And exuberantly, we had an after-cast party back at the studio and it's in a dark black box theatre. And we were just playing, I don't know, like Lady Gaga or like, you know, um, other... Prince, other, you know, just crazy, like, get your dance on things. And all of these teenagers were dressed up, really happy, really excited from having, you know, given a great performance. Their last night, they're just pulling out all of their dance moves and releasing all of the tension of having choreography kind of placed on their bodies and just being like, 
we're free. We'll just dance like crazy people. Liberation. Uh, liberation. So all I was doing was wandering through that um, crowd with my camera at like chest level. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And then I've slowed it down and, and put it to this music from a band in New York called The Slowest Runner in All the World. And um, it just immediately takes on this very nostalgic vibe. And you see these these teenagers like really slowly moving through these moves and, and communicating through smiles and laughter and touching each other and then and then laughing at one another's ridiculous crazy dance moves and it just goes on for about 10 minutes and it's that's all it is and for me that speaks volumes more about the language of dance than a documentary of a dance performance say could you know yeah yeah so is that out there? Can I see that? Um, it is out there. I don't know where it is because my site's broken, but go to sarahcore.com and look for, um, what is it even called? I've forgotten the, the, like, the title of it. Something with a negative in it, self-negating. It'll be like um, not dance or... Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Un, yeah post, uh, we were choreographed, now we're not anymore. Now we're not anymore. Yeah. Exactly. So it'll be something like that. Um, I promise to be more organized about my own work before I come to the next interview. La, 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 la. Uh, look, this isn't really about plugging. <laughs> Luckily, one of the great things about interviewing people who aren't A-listers is that you're just happy to come along and speak without having Completely. a tour to, to plug or whatever. Oh, my God. Is there... Is so there, much. You've recommended a new wave festival coming up soon. Yeah, next just for wave. Just to catch some mm-hmm. really interesting stuff. Next wave, next new wave. Next wave, next wave. Next wave. Next wave. What else should people be looking at for in the next little while? Oh, um, well, I always try and make a trip to Tina. This is not art festival in Newcastle, which happens typically the first weekend of October. Yep. And that's a really good destination festival. Dark Mofo, I think it's happening in June or July in Tasmania. And that's a really, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a hipster arts festival. Yeah. It's been tainted with the H brush. Is um, it? <laughs> but also, and also it's so interesting because I went last year and I, and I went to, to a, a talk with one of the curators and he was actually like the marketing and branding guy for, um, for the festival. And then he became a curator. And I kind of feel like that ethos is visible a little bit like it's That's a very, telling connection isn't it it is and i don't mean to be disparaging but i kind of see it a little bit um but i still think it's a really interesting mm. festival interesting vibe and there is some really cool just like of the now works being presented there and it's in tasmania so it's gorgeous yeah i mean do you do you find that commercial stuff you work in i know it as digital yeah you work in digital i work in digital what even is that? Yeah, what even is that? Yeah. But does that creep into your work? Uh, How do you keep it? Is there a... Is does there it? A- no, it really doesn't. I kind of keep my... I've only been a nine to fiver for 12 or 14 months. And so right. it has yet to find its way into my deeper subconsciousness where I mm-hmm. start to feel the need to like expel it through any kind of art making. But yeah. um I should really fix my website. Um, well, that's right. This <laughs> is of, a, this of is a, the digital. That's why um, I brought you here to motivate you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Just shame time, me into it. This will be up in about a week. Uh-huh. So it's it's going to be good. Podcast listeners, you're listening to this probably in the, in the latter half of April. You can just go to Sarah Core's website. It's going to be spanking new and amazing. SarahCore, K-A-U-R.com. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, look at it. Doesn't it look, you've already loaded it up on your phone. Doesn't it look beautiful? What, yeah, it really does. What a great reward future. for her hard work what you're looking at right now listeners so dark mofo in me, july Sarah. in tasmania I just wanna, mofo. and then yep and then tina go to newcastle in the first weekend of october mm-hmm. and also despite all the controversy i really am so keen to go to the sydney biennale especially to cocktail island because i that never fails to be just an exciting space for me to view out wow yeah well thanks so much for those recommendations uh do you have any parting words for the world before i Depart um, this podcast from this smile, recording. Coil. Smile more, practice it, and um, do it to me in the street because then I can practice it back on you. Oh, what a wonderful thing to leave on. Thank you so much for coming in to Thank talk to you. Me. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to this episode of Wait Long by the River. On the next episode, I talk to rock and roll troubadour and shining lamppost of the Melbourne music scene, Skyscraper Stan. If you like what you heard, look us up on Facebook or on Twitter at Long by the River, or give us a good rating on iTunes, or come along to our live recordings, first Wednesday of every month at Sun Velvet Morning in Clifton Hill. Special thanks to our fact-checking producer Kayla Martin for her help with this episode. 
Now for some ridiculous bits I cut out. <laughs> I can cut some, but not all of that. I only know of terry toweling from South Park. It's a towel that smokes a whole bunch of weed. What is wow. terry toweling? Terry toweling is like a type of towel material. It's kind of like if you had a towel and you mixed it with like 50% fabric softener and then took it out straight away. That is like terry toweling. Wow. Do you reckon that's how it was invented? I, I do. Hmm. Mm. Very good. Who amongst another... Um, bleh. <laughs> Tough once you think about oh, it. Oh, it's so bad. It's it getting worse. Get, yeah, it does. It's getting worse and worse. Yeah, every time I try and record stuff, your yeah. first take and your tenth take are the best are ones. And you, you phase yourself out and then you get it together again and then you mess it up. Yeah. Tell me about Great Britain just to clear your palate. Okay. Um, the hotel you're thinking of is the Great Britain in Richmond. <laughs> That's from our non sponsored Insider. <laughs> So that's what you think, oh, I'm sure well, it's a P word, a P word, oh, aorta. Of course, of course it was aorta all along. Yeah. Hugh, Hugh Jackman is running away from an obviously CG helicopter. Again. Yes, please. <gasps> he looks kind of like a horse. Yeah, he's like he's the, who's, yeah, whose rabbit is that? Serious, so there's like half me, half Prince. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna start your next exhibition by lowering yourself down on a four poster bed from above the stage. The oh my god, completely with velour, like completely just everywhere and frills like erupting eight out of my women, neck. Eight women just like rubbing just eight women. Oh, I want, I want all of that in my next exhibition. You could, you could do an exhibition that just interrogates how you uh -huh. are similar and different to Prince. And I oh, would completely. Like I, you know what? That's a great idea. Because I've already started to like pull some like photos from the internet where I'm like, yes, I have a similar photo. Definitely me. I am Princess Love Child from another mm, lover mother.